There's a place where something special happened a long time ago. Actually, there's a lot of history in this place, or I should say on this place. Mount Washington in New Hampshire. It is uh, something like 6,800 feet up, and it is really amazing. And so we're heading up the mountain. We're going to talk about something special that happened there a while back. If you listen to FM radio, if you like radio, if you were in radio, you're going to want to hear our discussion about Mount Washington's forgotten radio history in podcast 1112, the Bob Davis Podcasts. Now, there's a lot going on in this podcast, so I'm just going to do a quick thanks to the sponsors of the Bob Davis Podcast real quick before we get started. 36 Lynn, the independently owned and operated refueling station in South Minneapolis. They sponsor the podcast for a long time. Really appreciate it. Check out the store, get some gas cheaper, and say hello. And also, GardenGurusMN.com. These are the great gardening and landscaping people that do uh, real estate staging. They'll help you set up your garden. Keep listening for more information about GardenGurusMN or check them out online at GardenGurusMN.com. So we're out here on this train. What's the story on this thing, this cog? What do they call it? It's the uh, Mount Washington Cog Railway. It it was built in the 1800s, actually built during the American Civil War. It was amazing that they could uh, get the sort of manpower they needed to do that. Uh, It uh, starts, I think, in April uh, or May every year and takes uh, multiple trips up and down the mountain, carrying lots of people. This conductor's crazy. He's like, he's got some great. It makes it. It actually makes it kind of fun. These folks are always fun. I've I've been up several times, and uh, you know, it's a different crew each time, and they all have different shtick. It's uh, a little bit like Southwest Airlines, but with a long history and an accent. Since you're a first timer, so for my third trip. Well, is this New Hampshire accent? We don't think uh, we have New England accents, but of course we do. And uh, I was going to mention that uh, the Mount Washington Cog Railway is the first in the world, and there are now several in Switzerland. There's one at Pikes Peak in Colorado. So it's a pretty uh, amazing piece of history here. They try to double count. We try to bring back about the same numbers we take up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a few. Hey. My name is Fred. I'm your brakeman going up the mountain. Uh, as we go up, it takes 40, 45 minutes to go up. Once we get to the top, again, you're going to step off the train. The people that went up an hour ahead of you are going to step on. We're going to disappear. A different train will bring you down. I think it's going to be the orange train, but anyway around it, it will be marked as the A train. That's what you want. The 1 o'clock A train. We keep track of our trains by what time they leave the station. We do have a few very simple safety rules. We are a working railroad. I think they said in the waiting room, they said that uh, they actually got there. They came and checked out the Cog Railway before they built those other. Yeah, this was the template for Cog Railways. So if you're thinking about starting a Cog Railway, come to New Hampshire and see how it's done. 
And then I guess I guess I got to ask you. I mean, I've I've sort of gotten facts on Mount Washington, but but I can't marshal those facts. And you've come here a lot, so what is the story with Mount Washington? So uh, yeah, it's uh, it has a history that goes way back to the 1700s. People from Boston used to come up here. Now, as we start up, I ask you to remain seated, stay in your assigned seats. Once we're up to speed, I'll let you know when it's safe to stand. At that point, you can walk up and down the aisle. You can come right to the doorway, but you can't come out onto the platform. If I'm in your way and you want to take a photo, a gentle tap on the shoulder. I'm happy to move over. Hard pushes, and I'm off the train. Now we're going to start off at an elevation of 2,700 feet above sea level. When we get to the top of the mountain, you'll be at 6,288 feet above sea level. A little windy and cool on the top of the mountain, but we have tremendous views today. We've had views of 65, 70 miles, but the wind's blowing about 45, 50 miles an hour. Wind chill feels like 11 degrees. Hey, come on, this is the world's worst weather. What do you want? The warmest there's ever been on the top of the mountain is a blistering 72 degrees. Highest wind speed ever witnessed by man is recorded at 231 miles an hour. Uh, the very wealthy people especially, and they would take a carriage ride or they'd hike uh, up to the summit. And of course, there was nothing there at the time. Again, it's about 11 degrees wind chill factor on the top. You're going to close all those. When we get close to the top, you're going to see I'm going to take off my hat and leave it. Leave it in the car. Until I find out what the wind's doing, I always leave my hat in the train. If you like your hat, your glasses, your cell phone, your small children, hold on to them when you first step off the train. Uh, a lot of people died trying to hike up because uh, the conditions changed very rapidly. How far is it up here? 6,500 some odd feet. Which, which, as a guy who's been throughout the West, it doesn't seem that high, but this is the highest peak until like the south, till you get to South Dakota. Yeah, it's considered the, uh, the tallest peak in New England and, and in the Northeast. Uh, but the thing that sets it apart and makes it so dangerous is the ever-changing weather conditions. fascinated uh, with transmitters and towers and, and going on tours wherever we go. We end up at some, last time I was here we were in Massachusetts looking at some new antenna complex that our friend Grady Motes was putting together, which was bizarre and great. You, it's a an radio antenna you've never seen before. It looked like a, I said it looked like an alien had landed on this place. This time we're going to Mount Washington because this is where the father of FM radio and actually spoken radio in a lot of ways, put his first FM radio antenna and built his first, the first FM radio network 
which was what, like the 1940s? Yeah, it was called the Yankee Network. Uh, it was owned by a couple of guys from Boston, and they hired Major Edwin Howard Armstrong, the man who invented FM radio. They, they hired him to put this network together, which uh, I think originally it might have been a wired network, and then he came up with the idea of let's send the signal from station to station by FM. And that was groundbreaking. And so he spent a lot of time up here putting up his tower. And, and they built a whole building. It's called the Yankee Building, uh, if, you, if you visit here. Uh, and they're going to they're gonna renovate it so it won't be the same. Well, we're, we're going to talk to, we're going up there to talk to a, a, you know, you've got this tour set up with a, with a park ranger. Yeah. What's that guy's name? Uh, his name is Patrick Hummel, and he is the site manager for the summit of Mount Washington for the New Hampshire Parks and Rec Department. Yeah, it's a state park. Yeah, it, exactly. You can't camp there, but yeah. but but I guess it's a, they've got all these things. Up. He had a pretty, yeah. you know, we, we like to joke that in radio you have to fight every day. You know, you're fighting all the time. You're fighting for a creative point of view. You're fight, fighting for whatever. And, and Major Armstrong, apparently he was a major, in the military. That's correct. Yeah, they gave him uh, an appointment of commission as a, as a major. Uh, he, he was involved in both world wars, uh, renovated a lot of the communication stuff for the military, which was... Uh, and then he, he went through that whole thing with David Sarnoff and the whole thing about FM radio, which we'll talk about later, but I mean, that was pretty tough. Yeah, it was, um, it was uh, a hard life for him, uh, but he really produced uh, amazing things. I mean, he invented FM radio. Yeah, and he, he proved that uh, Lee DeForest's Audion tube, if you regenerated uh, the signal through it, I'm not an engineer, so I'm just quoting from history, um, that it, it made radio uh, a lot louder to the listener. So Because before you had to wear a little crystal headset. Uh, what do we call that, the actual... Um, that's the first exciter. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. It amplifies the signal. Yeah, right, exactly. Are we above the tree, tree line? Yet? We are well above the tree line, and uh, it's an amazing day because it's totally clear here, uh, and that never happens. The last time I came up, it was a beautiful sunny day at the base, but then when we got to the summit, um, there was a cloud sitting right on the summit, so the effect of that is when you get off the train, you were in a huge fog. I mean, you couldn't see that far ahead. And when you looked up at these amazing radio and TV towers, it, it looked like uh, an alien landscape. What's cool is I'm looking up, I can see them, but they look like they're they're bent over. They look like they're leaning, but they're actually straight. We're the ones that are leaning, right? Right, yeah, that's because of the, you know, the tilting of the, well, the summit, you know, it's a mountain. You're standing on, uh, on, a, on a peak, but you're, uh, there's an incline, a significant incline. They're special places. They're amazing. Yeah, I'll look at this. Well, Jack's kind of leading the way into it. has that snow. Yankee building. This is where the transmitters were, and this is where these guys did their work. And I mean, the, the conditions up here are so grim that the, there's a naval observatory up here. These are the guys that found the speed of the uh, wind. Uh, no, no, Bob. Actually, it's not a naval observatory. It's a uh, National Weather Service observatory. Oh, well, I stand corrected. I, uh, I teach Bob, Davis. Bob Davis. Good to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you, too. This is great. 
So we still have uh, old history in here. Yeah. A little bit of show and tell here in the Yankee building for so them. So were the transmitters in here? Uh, oh, well, back before the fire? Yeah. No, they were all out in a separate building ah. with the generator. I guess. <laughs> yeah. And there were probably some in here. Yeah. Because at I the time I worked so. for the observatory for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. In 2004, I was up here the next day after the fire. Oh, 03. What's that? February of 03. I thought it was 04. Oh, okay. Definitely February. It was definitely February. <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah so there's uh, the uh, remains sort of of the old power barn is out uh, by the... Uh, we can walk out after and see some of the remains there. There's a huge fire that uh, got sourced there. Um, everything had to shift here on the summer walk. Yes. How are you here? There also was the onus for the uh, state parks to start our year-round yeah. 365, 24-7 uh, staffing at the summit. Yeah. Not that the finger of blame is specifically with the observatory, but them being the only ones up here at the time in the winter, uh, I think that was a clue to the state that, uh, in the state park system for New Hampshire to say maybe uh, we need to be more directly responsible for the things that are happening up here, even in the off season. Yeah. And that was when? February of 2003. 03. Yeah. yeah. So about 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so the observatory, of course, is still here as yeah. a tenant to the state park doing their important work. Yeah. And uh, the state park staff's also here alongside them. Yeah. Focusing on the maintenance and uh, caretaking of the summit and all the facilities and the buildings and everything that, that happens up here. So, so what did they do in this building? Do you know? Yeah, so this uh, this building is uh, houses um, communications equipment uh, as uh, the main, I guess the main purpose. It also has a bigger workshop for us and the state park staff, which you're standing in now. Uh, we have a smaller one in our basement of our main visitors. But I mean center. back in the day, what did they do? Oh, back in the day in here was <coughs> mostly communications uh, related uh, both for television, radio, there was uh, some overnight accommodations here uh, and then uh, for, for that staff, for MTW and the Yankee Network and, and then uh, the Mount Washington Observatory before the Sherman Adams building was completed, the present day visitor center in 1980 that houses both the state park and the observatory. The observatory had a separate building between here and the stage office uh, that they moved out of to go into the Sherman Adams building and for a short period of time uh, I believe they had some of their museum pieces in here as well. Uh, the museum is now of course also housed in the visitor center. This building's had an amount of use over the last 80 years. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Second oldest structure on the summit yeah. uh, behind of course the tip top house which is significantly older the stone building next to us i'm going over there yeah, oh, yeah. you have to see that the tip top house uh, is currently closed to renovations we could duck duck in there but uh, the tip top house was built in 1853 was the second building on the summit uh, as a structure to provide overnight accommodations to summer guests which was what the original building next to it was built for. So in 1852, a stone structure was built for overnight guests. Somebody said, that looks like a great idea, built the tip-top house right next to them, and then thus, in the 1850s, became the 
fight for tourism dollars on the summit, uh, a legacy we carry today. It's hard to believe. Can you imagine coming up here in 1850? Yeah. How, I guess you didn't come up with a railroad, that's for sure. Nope, or the road. Wow. Yeah, yeah, the road, road started in 1853, uh, but only got completed about to halfway and then sat dormant for a number of years. So the road opened in 1861 fully to the summit as the Mount Washington Carriage Road. Because uh, the autos weren't even invented yet. Uh, and then the Cobb Railway made their first trip to the summit in 1869, yeah. uh, eight years later. But uh, for all of that work to be done in the midst of the Civil War going on is also yes, even more noteworthy than mm -hmm. the already impressive engineering feats that both of those attractions yeah. are. It's it's really amazing. It's it's daunting. Just getting up here on the train is daunting. Sure. Let alone carrying uh, crap up. Is there a separate structure for uh, among the clouds, the newspaper? Or was there was eventually. Yeah. So the among the clouds was a newspaper that was printed daily up here. Right. Uh, once another hotel was built, the uh, newspaper was printed in the tip top house. So once oh, okay. that stopped yeah. serving overnight guests, it became a printing press and a newspaper was printed every morning here and then distributed off the summit and into the valley to all the uh, big hotels. So the, the guests would wake up in the morning with their breakfast and coffee and read a newspaper that was printed that morning from the top of Mount Washington. So much history up here. Uh, and one thing to note that with the Tip Top House, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the building and uh, some of its history, the fact that it's one of the oldest, could be the oldest, at least it's one of the oldest surviving mountaintop uh, hostels in the whole world. Uh, but I can at least promise you that the Tip Top House next door here has seen more 100 mile per hour winds than any building on the planet. And I would say that the Yankee building here is probably second. Yeah. Uh, if uh, if it, not far it, behind that. It's made out of wood. It's so a wooden steel structure. Yeah. Yep, yep, there's some brick, but it's mostly steel skeleton with a wood structure. Of course, at State Park, there's a lot of maintenance on this building. Having any structure up here uh, in I mean, this I just environment think, is can challenging. You can you imagine just the wind tearing the shingles off the thing? We've picked a lot of pieces <laughs> of the Yankee building up, and it still happens to this day. <laughs> this, uh, well, this goes to our winter door. The door we came into is our summer entrance. Of course, during the winter months up here, uh, the snow drifts in the corner of this building will reach up to the second story, and uh, there's no way you're getting in and out of that door, so we have to have a whole separate entrance for winter access here for our wow. staff. This looks like it might have been a studio one then. That looks like a sound block window. Yeah, that probably yeah. was for MTW's broadcasting yeah. and Marty Oh, yeah, Marty Engstrom. Engstrom. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, this is our water lap now, so we have a it has tough to run a little mountaintop city <laughs> with 350,000 people a year. Well, we like to joke that we survived the summer to get to the winter. <laughs> so it's pretty We're quiet ready. once the winter sets. Aside from Mother Nature, yes, very quiet. I'm all for that. We are too. Yeah, and you gotta, I mean, not that uh, you can let your guard down up here because everything revolves around the weather and being safe and, and everything we do with the safety of our staff revolves around the weather, whether it's our transportation, the work we're doing, all of that. But And then you guys you stay have up here. to. Yes, we're always here. State Park staff's always present at all times.
for those of us that work over the winter months, we also have to, you have to like winter. It's a bad place to be if you're <laughs> not into the cold. <laughs> best, best get outside. Yes. Yeah. Is this a coveted access. job in the park? The state parks, or is this one or the other. It's either coveted or people think we're absolutely <laughs> insane to be up here. It's usually, usually one side or the other. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Now, I wasn't able to record it. I didn't have. I wasn't recording when we went into what's that thing called? That that stone building. That's called the Tip Top House. Uh, originally, there was a. Uh, from what I understand from reading history, there was a fairly large hotel up here, but. Um, I guess it blew down or, you know, the weather eventually eroded it to the point where they had to tear it down. So then they built this stone structure. It's called the Tip Top House. It was more of a hostel than a hotel, but uh, lots of uh, fairly wealthy folks from uh, the Flatlands. They have bunks in there. Especially Boston. They used to come up and stay for two or three days. It's an amazing place. It's built out of stone. I mean, I can't, I don't, it's not video, so I have to paint a picture of this stone it looks like a pile of stones and they did have a peak roof which they took off and patrick was telling us that they're they're renovating it but you can't get in there we got in there because you know patrick's great and so he, he got us in there and unlocked the door and we went in and we looked around it and it's what's amazing to me is this stuff went on in 1850 but hey we came up here because we're we came up here to to pay homage to uh, Major Armstrong's antenna. So yeah, this is the guy that invented uh, FM radio. So if you've ever listened to FM radio, if you have been in radio, you've probably worked at an FM station, especially if you're, you know, a younger guy. Um, and if you are still in radio, you've worked at FM radio stations. This is the guy that invented it. And this is where it started, really. I mean, I, I don't think this is the first antenna. It's probably the second or third of his. But it certainly was one of the first, if not the second, FM antenna. And it's weird because they're short, right? So you're up here and the antennas are short, but, and as we come down, again, you sort of see them leaning, but the antennas are short. But remember, we're 6,800 feet up. So these antennas were, what, 90 feet. So they're, they're roughly almost at 7,000 feet. Yeah, and I think they look taller because we're on the top of a mountain. And, you know, I'm not a fan of heights, so they're, they're tall enough that I wouldn't want to climb up there. But uh, Armstrong... Um, had a proclivity for uh, high places. He, he pulled a stunt. He, he was trying to impress David Sarnoff's secretary. So he climbed up to the top of the ball on the top of the building that RCA was located in in New York. And Sarnoff was furious. But uh, Marion, uh, the secretary, married him. And, uh, but he loved, it worked. Yeah, he loved high places. So uh, we, kind of, we kind of, in our mind's eye, picture him climbing up these towers every day and tweaking stuff. And, you know, it's a great story. Well, and, and you heard uh, Patrick talking about the conditions up here. You know, it's, uh, it's a beautiful day today, but it's, it's, it's Arctic. I mean, this is literally an Arctic situation because of the height. So as the guy was saying on the train, if you... If you if you you would encounter only encounter these conditions if you went about 800 miles to the north of here to the arctic circle so it's it gets really cold and uh, uh usually it's 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 beautiful today i mean we still have to wear jackets and stuff in spite of all this and this is this is the big story with armstrong they try to take it away from him and, and they to the extent that that he let them i guess uh in a way by resisting in the wrong way, he, he, he literally, they stole it from him. Yeah, he and Sarnoff were good friends, and then they became mortal enemies because Sarnoff 
Sarnoff was the head of RCA slash and what became NBC. Yeah, exactly. And ABC. Yeah, big, big broadcasting tycoon, very famous man. Uh, Johnny Carson used to do a lot of bits about him uh, when he was running NBC, but he... Uh, Who's Johnny Carson? Uh, you know, he's the guy that if you're old... He was the host of The Tonight Show. If you're old enough, you'd know Johnny Carson. Well, you can watch the reruns on YouTube. Sarnoff took away the, uh, the rights to use FM in television because that's how it was set up, so that the audio, the sound in television was FM. But Sarnoff had his engineers change it like very, very slightly uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't according to Armstrong's patent, and Sarnoff got away with that. And of course, he sued Sarnoff, and they countersued, and, and it was... And he also got Congress to move the FM band from whatever it was, 40 to 60 uh, megacycles, or whatever it is, kilocycles at the time, to 88 to 108. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it, was, uh, it was one of those tales of a really brilliant man. He, uh, he taught at Columbia University for the whole time he was working in, you know, in, in the radio industry. And, um, but, you know, it was, it was a tragic ending. What do you mean a tragic end? Well, he took his own life because of all of the difficulties that he was having with Sarnoff, the constant court battles, and uh, he lost a lot of uh, the money that he made. Uh, there was a infamous story, he struck his wife with a fireplace poker uh, in a fit of rage. Uh, he was essentially having a breakdown, and um, she left him, and, and he took his own life. Uh, it, this is well, he, he wanted her to leave because he was afraid he was going to hurt her. And, and, and the thing that's interesting is she ended up suing Lee DeForest and, and uh, I guess, Sarnoff, and, and, and she won. Yeah. So she, in the end, righted the wrongs, but here we are. We were just talking about how there is nothing up there about Major Armstrong and the accomplishment of, of one, at least uh, creating the, 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 uh, the vision for what television audio was going to be, which is VHF, and creating FM radio, not to mention the fact that he really did create voice-driven radio because he, he tweaked uh, Lee DeForest's tube, which only allowed for uh, Morse code, basically. So, and with the Exciter, he made it possible to have a, a, a set-top and also changed antennas. He invented the, what was it, the super heterodyne antenna. All of these things, if you know anything about old radio, you know are pretty significant. And there's nothing up here. Uh, there's nothing in the museum. They have a little museum up here. Nothing up here about uh, Armstrong at all. Yeah, a lot of people have uh, written and talked about this ac academically, the subject of documentaries, etc., and yet uh, the radio industry just seems to ignore it. Yeah, there's nothing up here. And you would think, and I'm going to say this because, you know, you, you kind of want to be nice, but I don't. Uh, these guys are idiots, and I'll tell you why. With all, from all this talk about radio is not going to die, radio's dead, but anyway, uh, it, 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 they have, and we're making so much money, it's a $12 billion a year business, and not to mention the fact that it's probably $12 billion because they're borrowing, you know, money up the wazoo. But anyway, they can't devote a little bit of effort and money from all these big companies that are supposedly so amazing to actually create an exhibit to maybe inspire some kids to want to do radio because they saw what this guy was able to do through science, so it's a STEM thing, and through hard work. 
which is what he really did. He worked his ass off to make this happen. Uh, I agree with your assessment wholeheartedly. The, the radio industry is uh, really over as a major industry, and, and it's sad. And here's here, this is something they could do to tout their history, and they don't do it. So, you know, and again, why? Well, because they don't, they're cowards, and they are very short-sighted, and they don't care about the history of the business that they're even in. And, and, I, and I think, then I think about all the, the National Association of Broadcasters, the individual state broadcasters associations. You want to do something to, to honor the guy that created what you are doing? You want to do something to, to uh, tie into industry and to all the other stuff? This, this guy should be honored, and there should be some kind of monument. There's not even any plaques about where the transmitter was or what it was. It's just there's a bunch of antennas up there, and nobody knows what they're for other than cellular communication or whatever. Wouldn't it be great to take your kids up there and go, hey, this, this is what, what's radio, Dad? Well, here it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I think the only thing up here is a um, plaque. You know, there's a little small plaque on the building that says the Yankee building. Oh, yeah, and it's weather-beaten. And, you know, it's not very descriptive. And, and in the building that we were in, they should have an old radio transmitter in there and everything. So you can walk in there you know, and sort of see that. And, under, you know, and that's not going to happen. With New Hampshire's not going to fund that. Yeah, and they're renovating the building. I mean, from what I understand, they're going to tear down the entire building and rebuild it on the, found, on the, 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 the old foundation. The, and that would be a great opportunity for the NAB or some group of broadcasters to say, "Hey, let's put up a little museum in here where people can see a transmitter." And then, you know, maybe it's a yeah, because all it is is the is the Weather Service thing. Yeah. They have a radio from the Weather Service in the other in the museum in the Sherman Adams yeah. Building, and it's just it's irritating. Missed you know, yeah, that's right, Bob Pittman and and the guy that runs Odyssey that just got delisted from the stock market. Why don't you Why don't you open up your money bags that you tout constantly and actually do something? It's a great piece. It's also a great piece of industrial history because FM radio and radio in general, that period of time from 1900 to 1945, 1946, and into the early 50s, that was a huge development in communications and. Uh, that's all part of an industrial history as well. Now, in order to be fair, Bob, I, I would have to say that the radio business, uh, they did honor uh, one of the great parts of their history recently by giving an award to Gary Sandy. Who's Gary Sandy? He played the program director on WKRP in Cincinnati. And not a, a make Which was a TV show. It was a sitcom. Yeah. It had nothing to do with radio. In the 70s. <laughs> Idiots. Okay, I, I'm sorry to be, to be harsh, but you know what? They deserve it. Real quick, if you want to make a contribution to the Bob Davis Podcast, you can do so by clicking the donate button on the page at thebobdavispodcast.com. It's on the right side, right under the picture of Mobile Podcast Command. If you're on your phone, it's all the way down to the bottom. And I appreciate anything you can do. Also, subscribe to the Bob Davis Podcast at iTunes. I'm noticing a bunch more comments that are great on the iTunes page. Thank you. Uh, didn't expect to see those. Also, YouTube and Instagram. I don't care about Facebook. So if you're on Facebook, get on the good foot and get on YouTube and Instagram and go to iTunes and subscribe to the Bob Davis Podcast. Thanks for listening to Podcast 1112, Mount Washington's Forgotten Radio History the Bob Davis podcasts. <gasps> the-